Hey, Santa, what's shaking, man? What's your name, partner? Uh, little partner? Well, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? I'm Charlie Old St. Nick. Oh, yeah? We'll just see about that. Oh! Homer. I want a word with you in Santa's workshop, little boy. Cover for me, Alfie. Don't kill me, Dad. I didn't know it was you. Nobody knows. It's a secret. I didn't get my bonus this year, but to keep the family from missing out on Christmas, I'd do anything. I'll say, Dad, you must really love us to sink so low. Well, let's not get mushy, son. I still have a job to do. Hey, little one, Santa's back. Ho, ho, yo! Damn it, the... Everybody and welcome to the Christmas special of Simpsons is Greater Than, a podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact and everything that has to do with everybody's favorite nuclear family, the Simpsons. As always, I'm your host, Warren, better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness. You might have seen my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, when you're done with this very special episode, go to at Bart of Darkness and check it out. Now, when I say that this episode is special, it's because this is a Christmas-focused episode with Yardley Smith, the one and only, the voice of Lisa Simpson. So I'm just going to shut up. As always, we're going to start it right now. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Merry Christmas. Let's go. So I love Christmas. Although I grew up in a family that really has virtually no traditions. So not like for Thanksgiving, for instance, we never ate turkey. Oh, wow. It wasn't until... Now we would have, you know, we would still sit down and have a feast. We would have... My, my father would um, often make a roast. We sometimes had duck or we had goose, which I didn't, I didn't love. Um, <laughs> but my mother, and maybe my father too, uh, hated turkey. So I didn't really have turkey until I was an, a grown-up on my own, <laughs> cooking my own Thanksgiving dinner. And now I love it, and I wonder why we only eat that once a year. Um, and sort of the same with Christmas. I mean, we did Christmas, and there were presents and things, but um, certainly as when I got older, like, I left the house when I was about 19. I, I went to, I moved to New York to, to really start my career in earnest. I'd stayed home for a year and worked in Washington, D.C. in theater and um, did quite well and, and was able to get an agent and moved to New York. And so, but I would come home a lot because only, you know, at that time, a four-hour train ride. Now it's less because they have faster trains, but they're also <laughs> a fuck of a lot more expensive. Right. Because um, I could go back, you know, to D.C. for, I think it was like 50 bucks. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was super cheap. It wasn't fast, but I didn't care. It was a great way to make the transition from place to place. So when I would go home for Christmas, if even if I got there, say, on the 20th, my mother had done nothing about Christmas in terms of decorating. 
So by then, my parents were divorced. And my father, he, my father was a journalist for the Washington Post my whole um, life and really his whole career by the time my brother and I were born. And he always worked on Christmas. So I have a feeling there was some... <laughs> <laughs> he sort of orchestrated that, perhaps. Wow. So I've, I've had to make my own traditions. But at the same time, I feel like I'm not, I'm not good at it. I'd love to know what yours are. I, I'm always polling my friends for what their traditions are because I really have no experience with it. That's No experience with repetition. That's funny because, um, you know, that was actually something I was going to ask is if you had any traditions. Um, if, if I had to name one, I would say that we always played Scrabble with my grandmother. My grandmother loved Scrabble. So it was just known that like once the food was done, once presents were done, once everything was finished, we were busting out the Scrabble board and we were going to play Scrabble for like two hours. But I will say that my mom, you know, I my parents were divorced also and you know, I was raised by a single mother and she tried so hard to make Christmas like really special. Like she would go above and beyond. She used to, uh, put her like slippers in flour so that it looked like she tracked snow into oh, the house. Warren, shut <laughs> up. And I, you know, Oh my God. And I fell for that. Well, like, you know, even if I knew at a certain point, I was like, I love this. And she, you know, did the cookies <laughs> for Santa and you know, I remember asking my mom, like, well, you know, we don't have a chimney, so how does Santa get in? She's like, oh, well, I actually leave him a key. Or, you know, she, like, had, like, a reason for how he could get in. And, you know, I always say that the reason I love Christmas so much as an adult is because that was the one time of year that, like, my mom, you know, she always went all out for holidays, but Christmas was going to be awesome. Like, you know, we didn't have a lot of money but she was going to do what it took to make Christmas really fun. And yeah. she would always take photos like as we were seeing the, you know, the presents for the first time, she wouldn't put them out until obviously the night of. And uh, yeah, I mean, she, my mom was great when it comes to that. So not a lot of traditions, but I had a mother and a, you know, a family that really liked Christmas and always tried to make it really fun. So. Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> when you figured out there wasn't a really, wasn't really a Santa Claus? Um, There's not. <laughs> well, I mean, spoiler. Not, I mean, there's there's several. I'm just saying there's what it can, it's not one guy anymore. The world got too big. <laughs> no, so I you can imagine children listening to this going, "Ah, no. you ruined my life." Um, well, oh, so I I don't really remember, but I do recall getting so used to like sort of going along with the idea that he was real that I remember at a point being like, "Yeah, mom, and could you tell Santa like this time, you know, like this and that. And then I remember thinking to myself, what am I doing? Like, I already know this guy's not real. Why am I still like, go? so it's hard for me to remember exactly when, but I probably believed in him for longer than most kids. My mom really tried to keep that illusion. <laughs> alive. That's so great. I remember, I remember being really young. I want to say like six. And I realized, I recognized my mother's handwriting <laughs> On the presents that said to Yardley from Santa wow. and from Mrs. Claus. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's my mother's handwriting. <laughs> and so, um, but I don't, I, I sort of, um, I don't remember being devastated. I remember being far more disappointed that I would always get, say, maybe one little present from my father, like, one little piece of jewelry or something. And the rest was just for both of them. 
And my mother wrote that card too. She wrote that to Yardley from, we called him, we called our father Papa. And uh, I was like, mm, see, now that was far more disappointing to me than <laughs> finding out that Santa wasn't writing his own notes. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. You know, actually, now that I think about it, I think I knew, or I think the year that I finally like realized that Santa wasn't real was I'm pretty sure my grandmother said to my mom when I could hear her, like asked her if she got a certain thing for me or something to that effect. Like I, I seem to yeah. recall hearing like, did, were you able to get one of those or whatever? And she was like, you know, shh, be quiet. Like they'll hear you. And I think that's when I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. They're the ones buying the presents. Right. Um, but I don't, <laughs> I don't exactly remember how old I was. I was probably like 10 or 11. I was probably a little older than some kids. I don't know. That's so great though. And were you, where, where did you grow up? Were you? Um, I grew up in Mississippi. Um, in the birthplace, well, near the birthplace of Elvis. So a really small town, um, just outside of Tupelo, Mississippi, which oddly enough is where they say Krusty the Clown was born in uh, the (laughs) Simpsons. I don't know why, but the first time they talk about him, they say he was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. I've never understood why, but I thought that was cool as a kid. I was like, Hey, Krusty's from there. Um, but, uh, yes, I grew up in a really small country town, uh, the nearest like, you know, city, was like, you know, 20 miles away or something. So, oh, wow. yeah, I grew up in a very small And did small it ever place. snow there? Does it snow in Mississippi? It does. It does. Question. It did a lot more when I was a kid. I actually remember, I think yeah. it was 94, there was a huge, like, uh, like, like winter storm that, like, shut power down for, like, a week and stuff. So it used to actually snow a lot there. I used to build snowmen. And, you know, th- I remember really? doing stuff like that, which my wife growing up in Florida has never really experienced, other than, like, you know, if she traveled or went to New York or something, she's seen snow. But... Like, other than flurries and stuff, she's never really experienced it in Florida, yeah. which is wild. <laughs> we had snow in D.C., um, usually not as early as Christmas, although I do remember one or two Christmases when it snowed, on, and, it, and that was pretty epic. Um, <laughs> I wanted to show you, I have, I brought three, actually brought five, but I can just show you three for time, um, Christmas ornaments that I love <laughs> that I've had for as long as I can remember. That's awesome. So this, um, I remember buying this, and I can't remember, maybe at like a, a, a neighborhood fair or something, so I don't know, it's just, it's a <laughs> little satin star. Wow. It's it's shooting, shooting uh, meteors are a little worse for wear, <laughs> but I love this fucking thing. That's awesome. I remember... Um, I remember buying it with my own money. Wow. And it's it's it used to be darker purple, <laughs> but that's one of my faves. That's great. Um when my father before my father was hired at the Washington Post to be a journalist, he was a journalist for the UPI, which is like Associated Press. It stands for United Press International. I don't think it I'm not sure it exists anymore, but anyway, it was um, he was overseas. So my parents were in Poland and in Russia. I was born in '64, my brother in '63. So they were there during the Cold War. Wow, which is pretty extraordinary, yeah. and is why my brother was born in London and I was born in Paris because they were in Poland at the time when my mother was pregnant, and the Polish doctors basically said, "Listen, you don't speak the language very well," and. Healthcare here isn't as good as it is in a Western country. Do you have somewhere to go? So she went to England to have my brother, who's a year older than me, and she went to Paris because she had aunt and uncle summering in Paris that year. Wow. But while they were in Poland, 
my mother bought some Christmas ornaments, and this, there's only two left. The rest are broken. They're glass. So I don't know if you can see. I can. can you see I it? I can. Wow. It's a little house. I love and that. And it has a, a, now not as sparkly, but like a little snowy roof little that almost looked roof. like it was covered in sugar. <laughs> and then the other one, and there used to be like, I think about eight of those, and they were all different colors, red, gold, blue. And then this, she had, they had like six or eight of these little mushrooms, which are just a little shiny mushroom glass, and there's only one of those left now, too. Oh, that's so... So they, they get packed away in a, in a special little box, like their own little bed. Oh, I'm sure. So... That is so but cool. Th- I remember this. This I remember... Um, Picking out myself a little flexible flyer sled because I had a flexible flyer. <laughs> I used to <laughs> race down the alley. Um, and then, of course, if you can't tell by my little Christmassy top <laughs> and my jewelry and my shooting star star, this <laughs> great little French horn. <laughs> I didn't really give a shit. It was a French horn. I think it's a French horn. I think I so. I liked that it had a, a sparkly tassel. Yeah, that's so, those so good. So those are my, those are the ones that make it on the tree no matter what. Right. <laughs> that is so good. That is so good. Well, we got a lot to talk about, so we're gonna we're gonna do it. But um, and we're here to talk all about Christmas and Simpsons and all that good stuff. But before we do, um, in addition. To being the voice of Lisa Simpson for 33 years, uh, you have now been on The Simpsons <laughs> as yourself, as Yardley Smith. Uh, yes. In the recent episode, Podcast News. Uh, how cool was that? I want to hear about that. Oh, my God. I have to tell you, it was – so I was super excited when Matt Selman, who produced that episode, tipped me off ahead of time. He actually didn't tip me off to say – you, Yardley, are going to appear in the episode. He tipped me off because he said, we've written an episode about podcasting. It's true crime podcasting. I know you have a true crime podcast, Small Town Dicks. I hope that you won't be offended by what we say (laughs) about true crime podcasting. I'm like, Matt Selman, do you not know me better than that by now? (laughs) I mean, you know, a part of our, our... are really, if, if the Simpsons, if the show has one motto, it is take no prisoners. So it's a free-for-all for everyone. If you can't take the joke, then just get the fuck out of the kitchen and all those mixed metaphors. <laughs> so um, I was thrilled, and I was by no means offended by the funny jokes. And they're not wrong. I mean, it is a really fine line, particularly in true crime, how, how voyeuristic and... Can somebody else's tragedy really be considered entertainment? Like, what does that say about us as a as creatures, as humans? So, on our podcast, you know, we're really, really reverent and respectful towards the victims, and to the point where Dan and Dave, right at the top, said, "We don't, want, we won't tell anybody, we won't say anybody's real names, and et cetera, et cetera." And so. Um, Meanwhile, you know, there's uh, true crime, I think, is probably the most popular genre of podcasts, and there's a gazillion of them. And um, the good thing is, if you know you don't like ours, there's another that will surely be your cup of tea. But <laughs> it was to see, for, and it's also, though, I have to say, when I saw myself Simpsonized, I'm like, ooh, wow, it's, Simpsons are ugly. <laughs> They're super ugly. Like, there is no. 
way to be good looking when your son Simpsonized. That was pretty funny. And I also remember what, so we, before the pandemic, we used to have table reads all together, right? As the cast and the writers would be there. And Al Jean, our showrunner, likes to have people also, like an audience in the room. There's probably 60 other people in that room along the the wall. Right. And we're at this giant conference table. And we we were still doing table reads that way when we read podcast news. And one of the animators came up to me after the read and said, and introduced himself and said, Yardley, I, I just designed you for this. It, well, we were reading actually a different episode because that wouldn't have been possible. So we're reading a, a, a different episode and this animator came up and said, now I'm now designing you for The Simpsons for the episode Podcast News, and he showed me a picture on his phone, and um, I was so tickled. And But then I realized they'd actually put me in, in pants, like trousers and a top. So I was like, oh, and, and I thought about it and thought about it, and anybody who knows me knows that literally I go to the supermarket wearing a skirt or a dress. <laughs> like, I just am that girl. So I called, I texted Matt a couple, a few days later, and I said, you know, I don't know, it's a tiny thing, but it's still early, and so I just thought I would put it out there that, you know, maybe you want to dress me in a skirt and a blouse or a dress or something, because I wear that every fucking day, <laughs> so, and he was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, no problem, so I, so I had a little hand in the wardrobe of myself. I was actually going <laughs> to ask that, it's so funny that you got, I was going to say how much, in, you know, you love style, you have great style, I if I may say. Um, and, I, and I was curious how much input you had on the outfit. That's really funny. <laughs> I, 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 and they got, I always wear, um, often in the record, because we record all together as well when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. And I, the recording room is quite cold. We don't, none of us have any dressing rooms. We do have a green room where we can sort of gather and there are snacks in there. But by and large, everybody just hangs out in the recording room. And of course, you can't say anything. You can't talk but it's great to see the other you know your colleagues work and so I often wear a jean jacket because the other thing because it's freezing but the other thing is you have to wear a, um, fabric that's quiet mm. so if I'm not but let's say I was into say satin bomber jackets not as good because you could hear the rustle right or really crisp linen not gonna work. So um, I remember once in a while, I feel like we've had a guest or two who had a lot of bangles on their wrist or something, or you know, really long dangly earrings. And like, sorry, can you take that off because you're <laughs> fucking up the record. Um, anyway, so I think that little jacket was sort of an ode to my little denim jacket that I wear often. No, that's, that's great. That's great. I, I actually <laughs> love the character design. So I, I you know, I, I know Simpsons look a little funky, but I think they did a, a good job. It's good. Amazing. <laughs> really amazing. And I felt like they gave me great hair. Yeah. Yeah. The like super great hair. The hair's so good. So I was happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. And it's, it's a, anyone who hasn't seen the episode, it's super, super funny. Written by David X. Cohen. Um, it's, it was it's amazing. amazing. It was so great to have him back. He used to be on the show Ray back in the early days, and then he went off to Futurama. I was and say, created things. a little show called Futurama with Matt Groening. A little, just a little <laughs> thing, just a little, a little phenomenon. Just this little show. <laughs> um, okay, so so it turns out, as you know by now, that Yardley and I both love Christmas. 
um, which is one of the many reasons I wanted to have her on to just talk about some Simpsons uh, Christmas episodes and Christmas in general. And we sort of talked about it a bit at the, at the top, depending on how much I keep. What are some of the things you love about Christmas? Um, I So I love, I'm actually not a big presents person. I believe in presents. If, it's, if I see something and I think, oh my God, that's the perfect thing for that person. Presents for the sake of presents, I don't, I don't need it. I have, I have plenty of stuff. I really don't like clutter. I'm very hard to buy for. You know, I'm, it's hard to buy me jewelry like Detective Dan, who's my fiance. I'm just like, don't even, darling, don't try. <laughs> just don't even. It's okay. Um, so what I do love about Christmas is I love the music. Like, I love Christmas carols. I love all of the, you know, the old standards. I like the new artists doing the old standards. I love it all. One of my favorite Christmas songs is All I Want for Christmas is a Hippopotamus. Do you know this song? I do not, but I'm going to listen oh, to it as soon as this is Warren, done. <laughs> it is the best. And because I have a cat named Zipper, I often sing it to her. All I want for Christmas is a Zipopotamus. Zipopotamus. A Zipopotamus. But it's so funny and so charming. Um, I love the food. I, I don't actually make a lot of Christmas cookies, but I love when people make them for me. Um, <laughs> that is nice. I did. <laughs> nice. I like, I like, it's just, I love the lights. I love um, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the original animated cartoon. I actually really love all the old Rankin Bass cartoons, oh, yeah. you know, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, and they're so not good. Yeah. But, but great. When I, I, you know, when I was growing up, those, that was, those were the, the mainstays. Um, and I love, and I love this. I like the spirit of it. I think that's what I'm going for. I like, I like that it's about people. And even as stressful as the holidays can be, I feel like people recognize it as a time for gathering and celebrating. Yeah. So I just, what do you love about Christmas? I you know, a lot of the same things. I mean, you know, like I said, I always liked Christmas because my mom was really into Christmas and. You know, I think it's just a, a good excuse to like, you know, find some good in the world. I like to decorate the yes. house. Um, I love to to get a tree and decorate the tree. And um, I think it's just it's something about it. And, you know, I'm actually the opposite when it comes to presents. I love to give presents, even if I have to force <laughs> them down someone's throat. Um, I just I like to give I like to find a reason to buy something for someone and just, you know, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just more of a consumer than I'm willing to admit, but I do enjoy the you know as Homer would say the hustle and bustle of uh, of Christmas time, and uh, I always liked malls growing up. I like the just the energy of Christmas when everybody's out trying yeah. to look for things, and I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm a weirdo. I have uh, this weird thing for just loving that stressful time that some people hate. So there you go. That's it's it can be a hard time, but I agree with you. the The tree we always have a tree. You know, I love the. I'll, we'll often, so in this house, the tree is in the den, which actually isn't very big, but it's sort of where we spend the most time, and so that's, there's a TV there, and you and the tree is so beautiful, you can just turn the tree on, you don't have to have any other lights on. Oh, wow. You know, I love that, I love the glow of it, I love, it's a good, yeah, I, I do love the decorations, I just, I do love it. <laughs> yeah, how, how quickly do you get your tree up after Thanksgiving? 
Well, this year it went up really, really fast. I usually wait about until the, like around the first week of December, sort of the 8th. And I will say I have a confession to make. So I, growing up, we always had a fresh tree, right? A natural tree. And then about two years ago, and I used to always do that here too in California. And then about two years ago, I don't, I don't know what happened. We had a fresh tree. And the thing about the fresh tree is that after about two weeks, and if you keep it up for a month, it really starts to drop its needles. The water is kind of fetid and icky and bleh, and then you have to get rid of it. And so anyway, here's the confession. Now we have a fake tree. But I will say <laughs> the beauty of it is it comes pre-lit, but like perfectly. Warren, like <laughs> Hallmark card just you know, Norman Rockwell Christmas-esque pre-lit in the most perfect. You're like, oh. Jesus. Well, you're, you're- I was never the person who had to put the lights on or take them off. So that, you know, whoever that person was in my life um, <laughs> now doesn't have to do that. But I, And I have to say now the, the artificial trees are really, really good. Yeah. You have to spend a little dough, but... At the end of the day, you can get, like, it's pretty fucking incredible. And it comes in four parts. So if your ceiling is only eight feet, you just don't put one of the sections in and you're good. That's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. <laughs> and then it folds up and it goes in the box. And then it's it's pretty good. Now, we do the bows on the, um, the banister and on the... Um, Mantle, those are fresh. So there's still plenty of shedding. There you but go. Anywho. Well, so <laughs> growing up, I always had a fake tree. Um, there weren't, there weren't, there wasn't really a place to buy a nice, uh, fresh tree where I grew up. And so we always had a fake, uh, Christmas tree that my mom still has. She has the same one, still puts it up every wow. year. Uh, so once I moved to Florida and once my, uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife now got a place together. Um, I was, you know, I've never had a real tree. I'd like to get a real tree. And now I'm hooked. I got to have a fresh, yeah. real tree. I mean, I have year, to say, know. I do that smell of the fresh pine. You oh, can't yeah. beat it. It's so Christmassy. My cats yeah. love it. They're, they're, they, yes. they sleep under it. They knock off yes. the ornaments. They love it so much. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's so good. Um, okay, so let's talk about some Simpsons episodes, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be as in depth as possible. I'm gonna sort of restrict myself because I want to talk about at least three or four. And uh, yeah, what do you say? Ooh, careful! There's no time to be careful. Really. So I, before we um, decided to do this, and I have, as I think I've told you before many times, I have a terrible memory, <laughs> which is why when, for instance, I did the Paley panel a few months ago, I consulted you. Two reasons. One, such a good idea because you have such a deep knowledge of the show. And so what better person to ask, what are what are the things that you don't already know that you want to know? Because... Your knowledge of the show is so much deeper in many ways in terms of detail than mine. I just have a different kind of background thing. Right. 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 So, um, anywho, you had said, will you watch some of these iconic 
Christmas episodes of The Simpsons. And I, it's funny because I was like, yes, of course, I'd love to. And so I went on Disney+. Plus. By the way, there's like 11. If you, if you type in a Simpsons Christmas, about 11 episodes come up, which surprised me. I didn't realize we had so many. There's actually 19. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> well, maybe that, ele- maybe that one was actually a nine and I have my glasses on. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually shocked to hear that too. So I knew that there were a lot. There's like a lot more than you think. Wow. But I counted today and I was like, wow, 19? That seems like way more than I than I thought. But That is, I never would have, wow, that's impressive. There's a couple that don't seem like Christmas episodes that are. So that's one reason people yes. forget about certain ones. But and One of them, um, I was trying to remember. So, the, so we'll start with um, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, which yes. of course is the very first half-hour episode at all of The Simpsons. Season one, episode one. Yes, and it aired in December 1989. I think it's December 17th, I want to say. You're correct, and it was written by Mimi Pond and directed by David Silverman. I've heard he's pretty good. Um, You know, he's all right. (laughs) He's cutting his teeth. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, it's it's the first episode, um, even though it wasn't intended to be, which most people know. Um, but I think in retrospect, it's the perfect way to start the show. I love that it starts on a Christmas episode and it's a a great episode. So it's a classic and it was fascinating to see how rudimentary the animation was. Yes. Um, and in some ways, and I was thinking, I feel like we had already developed this kind of underground fan base when the Simpsons were on the Tracy Ullman show and we were doing the little bumpers and nobody really knew, I think, how big that fan base was until we went to Half Hour and then we hit so big right away and people were like, oh, shit. And But in some ways, I feel like if we had just, I don't know, if we, it was a great juxtaposition to have a cartoon that had so much heart, this, you know, we're telling the story of Christmas is basically going to be canceled because we don't have any money. And Homer is trying all these different schemes because he didn't get his Christmas bonus right. from work, from Burns that year. And uh, Bart says he's going to get a tattoo in a heart that says mother. And then he's getting it and Marge, of course, walks in and all it says is moth. <laughs> <laughs> and she pulls him out of the chair. So good. It's so good. So she spends all of the Christmas money that's in the big jar getting Bart's tattoo removed. So now Christmas is canceled and Homer hasn't gotten his bonus, et cetera, et cetera. And they end up at their dog track and they get, and that's where they meet Santa's little helper. Now, my, I guess my point is, is that the animation is much less fluid, much more, um, r- as I said, rudimentary. But the heart of the story is so big and that juxtaposition between really quite sophisticated for a cartoon, I think, to have that much heart and soul in an episode against this animation that was not yet what it is now no. is really um, had a lot to do with the success of it. I totally agree. And, and I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of little things that you can find that are wrong. Like you can see people in the background missing a nose or you can see certain characters that look like they're colored a little bit wrong. Like there's all these little things, um, you know, nothing against the animation team. They did a fantastic job, especially for the time, but there's just so many things that they were still figuring out. And, and David and, you know, the other animators were, were trying to make this thing happen. And, uh, you know, there were problems with some of the other episodes leading up to this one. And 
I think that's also really interesting to look at. And I think there's so many drawings from that first episode. If you just look at them in, in cells that are still some of my favorite drawings from the show period. Like I love Bart's little outfits with the blue and the green. I mean, I, there's just so much charm in some of those yes. drawings and it's really, it's really crazy to me still. That's really well said. Um, and I do think part of the, the problems they had with the early animation was that really nobody had any experience. None of the producers on the sort of creative side, not the animation side, which is, of course, creative as well. But, you know, David knew what he was doing. But James L. Brooks and Matt Groening had only, he had never done animation that moved. Right. I think he'd only done his comic strip at the time. Um, you know, Sam Simon. Nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. So... There wasn't, it wasn't like Disney was going to launch this cartoon and that was their wheelhouse. It was this band of people going, oh, this is great, let's do this, you know, screw it, let's do it. And it just kind of, it ended up being this lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it, it did. And, and I mean, there's just, you see these characters be slightly out of character, but I do think that it's there from the beginning in a lot of ways, which I'll sort of get into, but I... I think there's a lot of things that you sort of lose and you sort of get back about certain characters. Like, you know, it starts off the family going to see the kids perform in a school musical type deal. And you just get this like weird corny dad, you know, Homer, that's still Homer. He's still like bored and wants to go home. But I think there's a certain little element to him that, that, that you don't always get that I really like seeing right off the jump. Excuse me. Pardon me. Hey, Norman. Sorry. How's it going? So you got dragged down here too, huh? How you doing, Fred? Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me, Fred. Oh, pardon my galoshes. <laughs> it was very, that part of Homer was very reminiscent of what we used to do on the Tracy Ullman show with the series. And Dan was in the middle of, tra Dan Castellaneta was in the middle of transitioning from Homer sounding like Walter Matthau, which was his original kind of template, right. to what Homer sounds like now because he couldn't sustain it for a half-hour show, which is so fascinating. People often think maybe he was a different actor, but it was all Dan. All Dan. He was just like, ah, uh-oh. <laughs> if it's going to be more than a two-hour record, um, I have to make an adjustment here, so... <laughs> He did, but you're right. It's you're absolutely right. That kind of corny, um, m much more presentational kind of Homer um, was, like I said, uh, emblematic of what we used to do on the one minute bumpers on the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah, well, and and it's just you know obviously it's the first episode, so there's a lot of really iconic first time you you know for a lot of people it was their introduction to the show. There's a lot of people that didn't really see it until that series and. When you watch it now, or when I watch it now, seeing Bart for the first time on screen, you know, messing up the song, changing the lyrics, all this sort of thing, like, when you put that in context to what happened afterwards, you know, Bart mania and all, you know, Bart was on everything right after that, and you think about that, it's really crazy to just be like, wow, that's the moment. Like, it's this little yes. troublemaker, he's singing this song, and he's, like, messing it up, and they're like, oh, God, this kid, you know. Um, there's just something really cool about that being his introduction he's this bad little kid he wants a tattoo for christmas like there's no you know it's no shock to me you know that everybody wanted to be bart after they saw that every little right. kid was like this is amazing um that's why the simpsons 
in a lot of ways got such a jump in merchandising was because all kids wanted shirts with Bart on them. And I think that that's really crazy to think about. And I think, you know, this the success of Bart, you know, fucking up the song and, and sort of and thinking only of himself was he was so joyful. The really Bart was I know that it was and it was a really interesting argument where you would often have parents and even um, George H. W. Bush saying we need more families like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons because Bart would disobey his parents. But at this, but there was no malice with Bart. No, I think that was, and it always surprised me that they missed that. Like Bart, he was a brat, which is what, of course, the anagram is. But he was not a bad kid. No. No, and, and you do see that in this episode as well. I mean, you know, I, I think when you get to like, this is something I want to touch on, but when you get to Bart uh, getting the tattoo in March, catching him, Bart has this moment of like, oh, I was trying to do this for you. I wanted, yeah, I wanted, I thought you would love this, you know? And exactly. and, I, and I think that's an interesting, like normally Bart would do things that he knows are bad, but I think in this, Bart really thought that he was doing something that his mom would also like. And I think that that's a, an interesting <laughs> take on Bart. It's so charming. Yeah. You know, it's back to what you were saying before. It really is. uh, It was one of his, it's his saving grace. Yeah. Yeah. And I do also, I got to point this out. So a lot of people, myself included, like to sort of, you know, joke about the early merchandise and how there's a lot of quotes that they make the characters say that it's like, you know, they never said that. And I, (laughs) and I know one of the things that a lot of people point out is there's a lot of early merch where Marge is saying, where's that Bart? And I've seen people make fun of this a lot, but it is a fact that in this episode, when she can't find Bart while he's getting tattooed, she says, and I quote, where's that Bart? So I just want to put everyone to bed that thinks Marge never said that. She says it in episode one. So get off, get off the merchandising's back. Okay. (laughs) That's fantastic. They had nothing to go on. Of course they made her say that. They had like nothing to go on. So come on. Yeah, the 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 females, uh, Marge and I didn't. We didn't have a lot of dialogue for the first many years, which was fine. You know, really was the focus was on Bart, and then for several years the focus was on Homer. Um, but that's fantastic. I love that you know that. <laughs> well, so so then Homer finds out. Uh, we get we go a little bit forward. Homer finds out that he's not getting a bonus. Right as Marge spends all of the Christmas money. Getting the tattoo removed, Homer freaks out, tries to shop cheap before he realizes he can make some extra cash as a mall Santa. Now, the reason I love this is Homer really, truly doesn't want to disappoint the family, which, you know, Homer never really wants to disappoint the family, but he's normally a little less self-aware than he is in this, this early, these early years. And I love, you know, the conversation he has with Marge in bed and he just can't bring himself to tell Mars that he's not getting a Christmas bonus. It is such a sweet moment that still to this day, I'm just like, that is a really, I mean, that's great writing. That's great television. Hmm, I get the feeling there's something you haven't told me, Homer. Huh? Oh, I love you, Mark. Oh, you tell me that all the time. Oh, good. Because I do love you. And I don't deserve you as much as a guy with a fat wallet and a credit card that won't set off that horrible beeping. Well, I think it does have something to do with your Christmas bonus. I keep asking for it, but... Marge, uh, let me be honest with you. Yes? Well, I would... I, I want to do the Christmas shopping this year. Huh? Sure, okay. And again, 
pretty um, sophisticated. And it really goes back to what James L. Brooks said, or what I've heard he said at the very beginning of the series, which was he didn't want The Simpsons to do anything that real people couldn't do. So essentially, he wanted us to create, he wanted the writers to write a show that could be live action. It just happens to be animated. So that meant also you couldn't, you know, drive the Simpsons car off a cliff and everybody survives because that doesn't happen in real life. For the first mm, several seasons, that was the mandate. Yeah. And I think that that... What you're talking about, that sweet moment in bed between Marge and Homer, really speaks to that. You could, to- you could totally see, um, you know, Bob Newhart telling, not being able to tell his wife that whatever happened, you know. Yeah. Or Mary Tyler Moore, any of the stuff that James L. Brooks worked on. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, there's, there's a lot of moments in this episode with Homer that are great. I mean, I love him taking the classes just because he, you know, he's, he's determined to get this money. He wants the family to not be disappointed to have a good Christmas. And, you know... I love the relationship, as always, between Homer and Patty and Selma. Um, I love Homer getting so mad at them that he leaves to go get a treat. He's driving by all these tree places. His expression just gets more and more irritated. It's so funny still. Because he doesn't have any money. He can't afford any of the trees. And the further he goes, the cheaper they are. And finally, he just trespasses and cuts one down himself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's an ornament. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So good. Well, you know, I couldn't talk about the first episode without you know bringing this up which is a lot of people talk about how the simpsons wasn't for kids in the beginning and i think you know that first season especially and even this episode there's a lot of things that you can see where you're like oh i understand sort of why some parents didn't like their kids watching it a perfect example of that is this is the first time you hear bart say i'm bart simpson who the hell are you uh, the phrase and the shirt that offended so many parents and teachers and got so many kids sent home with their shirts inside out. Um, when Homer has that moment where Bart realizes that he's dressed up as Santa and they go and they have this conversation and Bart's like, wow, you must really love us, dad, to do all this. When Homer leaves the room, he hits his head and he says, damn it. And yes. to me, even now, it's still to this mm-hmm. day, I'm like, well, of course, if a parent watches their five, six, seven, eight-year-old kid watch that, they're going to go, whoa, 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 what are we watching here? This is not a cartoon. He just said, damn it. So I think that's right. interesting to to look at that now and, and think that's why a lot of parents were not so into it. I think that's true. I And of course, nowadays, you, you think, oh, my God, it's so mild <laughs> um, compared to oh, yeah. what they can get their hands on on the Internet. Um but And it is true that The Simpsons was never written for children. And part of the confusion, I think, if there was any confusion, was, but it's a cartoon. Why would you have a cartoon for grown-ups? Um, and there were a few. Wasn't there that famous cartoon artist Ralph Bakshi? Right. So he did really adult cartoons. But it was rare. I think it was rare. And... Um, I'd be curious to know, maybe you know, I do know that the, the only, the last cartoon to be on in primetime before The Simpsons came back on in primetime was The Flintstones. So it's true. Were that, was that written for kids or was that also written for grownups? I think Flintstones was definitely like sort of written for kids, but it was also, you know, written to where adults could enjoy it. But I, I, you know, right. it has been so long since I've watched anything Flintstones, but I'd be willing to bet. Um, it doesn't hold up so well um, as we are adults, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, 
But I mean, it's just, you know, it's a new concept, you know, a, a primetime animated show that's not for children is an interesting thing. And when you, when I talk to writers, like when I had Jake Hogan on great episode, everyone should listen to it. He makes the <laughs> same point. He's like, you know, we were writing a cartoon that wasn't a cartoon. And he tells me that he would literally tell his friends or people he knew, do not let your kids watch it, you know? And they didn't listen, which I'm thankful yeah, that yeah. they didn't listen. I'm thankful that my mom didn't listen. Um, but it, <laughs> I, I think there's just no way to have kept kids away from, from those characters. They're too funny. They look too interesting. Um, the colors are so bright. Right. You just couldn't keep kids away from that. How could you not, how could this be a cartoon for grownups when the real star of it for many, many years was a 10 year old boy? It's true. You know, it, it was, it kind of scrambled a lot of circuits there, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one of them, you know, Lisa is my favorite character has been for a long time, but as a little kid, you couldn't tell me shit. I wanted to be Bart. I smarted off to my teachers. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I wanted to skateboard because Bart skateboarded all these things. Like I right. loved Bart. So it, it makes sense to me, you know, when I, when I go back and look, um, but I also, you know, it's funny it's not just elements of Bart and Homer that we see, you know, go through these things in the episode, because even though Lisa doesn't have a lot to do in the episode, she does have this moment. And I think that they, you know, the, the episode does a really great job of sort of introducing her character and showing her levels right away because she wants a pony. She wants to watch happy little elves, but when her aunts make fun of her father, she just immediately goes into this really insightful, well-said dialogue about why they shouldn't make fun of her dad. And I think that really informed who Lisa was. And I know that, you know, she wasn't a brand new character, but they were trying these new things. And I think that that is also really cool to look at now. Unadulterated pep. It's almost nine o'clock. Where is Homer anyway? It's so typical of the big doofus to spoil it all. What, Aunt Patty? No, nothing, dear. I'm just trashing your father. Well, I wish you wouldn't, because aside from the fact that he has the same frailties as all human beings, he's the only father I have. Therefore, he is my model of manhood, and my estimation of him will govern the prospects of my adult relationships. So I hope you bear in mind that any knock at him is a knock at me, and I am far too young to defend myself against such onslaughts. Mm-hmm. Go watch your cartoon show, dear. And again, the story I had heard was that it was Jim Brooks who said, I want her to be a prodigy, like a saxophone prodigy, but also super smart in school. Um... And so that she became the outlier, right? He, and, and whether or not she was actually dubbed the heart and soul of the series right at the beginning of the half-hour shows, um, she certainly kind of evolved into that. She was, if, if again it wasn't written for kids, Lisa was going to be the adult, more sophisticated um, interpretation of whatever the situation was that the Simpsons were dealing with. Right. No, it's, it's so true. Do you, do you remember, um, I know it's been a while, but do you remember what you thought when you saw that script or when you realized you were making a Christmas episode? Do you have any memories from that? I loved it. I remember thinking, oh, this, I love Christmas specials. This means that even if the show doesn't go very long, we'll always have a Christmas special. You know, even it's sort of, it's a, it's an annual, maybe we can become an annual tradition. Right. 
Um, and I, I remember that speech, saying it to Patty and Selma, and I remember feeling like, oh, this is really different for a cartoon, but feeling like I, not that I was at all certainly that articulate when I was eight, but there was a, there was a compassion to her already in that very first episode that really um, resonated with me, that really made me feel like, oh, I love this girl. I, w- I want to connect with her. Right. I remember that. I think that that is, you know, it is the Bart and Homer show, but you do get great elements of Marge and Lisa also in that first episode and a little bit of grandpa, a little bit of Patty and Selma. It does a good job of sort of painting the, the uh, picture for the show. Um, but you know, yeah, I agree. So, you know, Bart finds out that Homer Santa, they have this very sweet moment. Homer gets a terribly small check, uh, and is convinced to blow it at the dog track by Barney, who says he has a dog that can't lose and Bart encourages him. So they do it. They think it's going to be a Christmas miracle. Like they're going to figure this all out. Uh, and most importantly, like you said, this is the origin of Santa's little helper, uh, which is awesome, even though I'm a little mad that we never got an origin of Snowball 2, really. Um, Agreed. All we know is that Snowball died, and then they got her another cat. And and also, I'm sure everyone knows this joke by now, but I think people forget how brilliant the joke of Snowball 2 is. Because the joke is that she had a white cat named Snowball, and instead of getting her another white cat, they got her a black cat and just named it Snowball again. Yeah. That's a joke that I feel like people just forget about all the time. Um, I know. It's so, it's so good. <laughs> It's so good. It's so Simpsons. <laughs> it is. It is. So so they're at the track. They bet on Santa's little helper instead, thinking it's a sign. He loses badly. And the owner runs him off, which leads him straight to Bart and Homer. And he's instantly one of the family. Great way to start the show. And it's a great m- moment, sort again, to debunk the hyper-materialism of the holiday, right? Where... Yes, they all wanted all these different things, but at the end of the day, they were able to give a home to this dog. The dog brings the family together. Who doesn't enjoy caring for something that really needs them? All of these things wrapped up into that one fantastic moment Yeah, when they bring the little dog home. Yeah, it's also, I you know, I love so many of your reads in that, in that first episode because I love the way Lisa's like, all right, dad, like the way she says it. It's just, it's really, it's really great. It's very special. I remember that too. I remember, (laughs) I remember those. I really do. We did, we've done so many of the, all right, dad. You know, there's something (laughs) really quintessential and iconic about the way Bart and Lisa cheer, cheer certain things on. No, there is. And, you know, another thing I want to mention, anyone who hasn't listened to my David Silverman interview, you should, because there's a great story. I actually might post it, uh, a longer video on my Instagram this week. We'll see. Um, But he said that originally, you know, they're singing around the piano at the end and you sort of just get this shot of the house. At the end of that, you hear Bart being strangled by Homer because he just won't stop interrupting the song. And that was originally supposed to be animated. There was there were pencil drawings done of him lunging at Bart and choking him. Um, and you can find the image. David has posted it. But I do think it's cool that they bailed on that idea. They thought it was a little too, like, ah, it's the first episode. Maybe let's not do that. But I like that they loved the idea. So it was supposed to do that freeze frame, sort of be a photo to fade out the episode. They liked that idea so much they ended up using it earlier in the episode 
when Homer's, you know, asking the kid for a bite of his donut. And I just think it's cool that they, they were able to make that idea work, even though they weren't able to do it at the end. Yes, I agree. <clears throat> there were, uh, <laughs> one wonders how opposed to Homer strangling Bart standards and practices were. <laughs> like, were we relegated to, you can only do that once a show, or... Because there are certain, there's some like weird rules. You can say bullshit, but you can't, you can only say it once. You, I think you can only say damn once. I mean, there's just funny, odd things. You know, you used to be able to show butts. Now you can't show butts. You can't say, you know, it, it's wild how they, how they switch that up. But um, yeah, I, I love seeing the way that they tried certain things and it didn't work. So they did this. And I think that's what's so cool about following uh, writers and animators and all these people from the show on Twitter and Instagram and places like that because they'll share these drawings and go, oh, this is the original storyboard for this. It was originally going to be like that. Go follow Simpsons people. It's worth every uh, second of your time, I promise. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> they're pretty damn cool. <laughs> Gardley's pretty cool, I think. Um, <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> Coolish. <laughs> okay, so the next one I want to talk about is the very next Simpsons episode that's a Christmas one, which is Six years later, um, almost seven years later, uh, they didn't do another until season seven, which I find so strange because the success of the first one, you would have thought that that's something they would do a little more often. Um, as soon as Treehouse was popular, they were like, oh, this is every year. But the Christmas ones, they, for whatever reason, maybe those stories are harder. I don't, I don't quite know. Um, but we have Marge Be Not Proud, season seven, episode 11, written by the wonderful Mike Scully. Round of applause for yes. Mike Scully and directed by Stephen Dean Moore, great director mm. on the show as well. Uh, so, Yardley, hit us with a bit of a synopsis on that, if you can. I'm gonna, I'll am do it as Lisa Simpson. Perfect. Marge, be not proud. Bart is caught attempting to shoplift a video game. He tries to keep his failed four-finger discount trip a secret from Homer and Marge, and initially, he succeeds. But unfortunately, Marge finds out when the family goes to the same store to have the family Christmas photo taken. Stupid Bart. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bravo. It's it's a great um, it's a great episode. I think one of the things that really really touched me about it when I watched it again was how much Bart wanted this game. He just wanted the video game so bad, yeah. and when he thought well, they're not going to get it for me. I have to figure it out. And then, of course, he meets the bullies in the store and they, Nelson shoplifts, shoplifts a vest. He's already wearing a vest, but he shoplifts another vest and puts it on under the vest he was already wearing. Um, Jimbo stealing a football. A football. <laughs> so funny. It's so weird. It's so good. It's so, so good. they say to Bart, look, dude, it's a four-finger discount. Of course, the joke being that we all only have four fingers. <laughs> and... He does it. He he takes the video game and sticks it in his little jacket, and then he's almost out the store, and then the the security guard stops him, catches him, and he's mortified. Like, Bart is horrified. He's horrified that he got caught. There's, And it's really sweet. Again, it just, to me, it goes back to Bart is, he's genuinely a good kid. He, he makes some really bad decisions, but it, he's not a bad kid. He's not. And and that's, you know, that's a thing that I, I, I think this episode, I, you know, I've said this before. It's actually my favorite Simpsons Christmas episode, even more than the premiere. It might be my, it might be my top 
It might be my favorite episode of The Simpsons. I don't know. It's just I love this episode so much. When I told Mike that, he was like, oh, wow, really? I'm like, stop, Mike. Um, (laughs) Something funny that he also mentioned is that this episode is loosely based on something that happened to him as a kid. I don't know how many people know that, but um, it's inspired by his childhood, although his mother never found out. So good on Mike for that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, right right away, like you said, you get this, this commercial about Bone Storm. This is like one of the most iconic Simpsons moments for a lot of fans because it's just hilarious. And it's really, there's so many references from the game, you know, from Thrill House to all these things that, right. that really stuck with people. And I have to say, too, that, you know, speaking of good Lisa reads, Lisa's reaction to seeing that commercial, just her sarcasm, like, oh, that looks entertaining. So great. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think that was at that point we we firmly established Lisa's dry wit, you know, which is really one of my favorite aspects of that character. Sure. She's, I think she has such a fantastic and wicked sense of humor, and uh, so anytime they hand me a line where she can be as dry as dry as a bone, bone storm, um, <laughs> I'm I'm happy to do it. No, it's great. She, uh, yeah, great. Well, well, you know, and then, you know, so Bart gets so stoked on this game that he goes in the kitchen and it's one of my, possibly one of my favorite jokes in the whole show. Maybe I'll just declare this is my favorite episode. Bunny Bonestormer, go to hell! Bart! Young man, in this house we use a little word called please. It's the coolest video game ever! I'm sorry, honey, but those games cost up to and including $70. And they're violent and they distract you from your schoolwork. Those are all good points, but the problem is they don't result in me getting the game. I know how you feel, Bart. When I was your age, I wanted an electric football game more than anything in the world. And my parents bought it for me, and it was the happiest day of my life. Well, good night. So fantastic. Everything about it's great. Um, You know, and we don't quite get enough Lisa in this episode, but how does this one hit you watching it now? Like, when going back and sort of taking time with it, um, what is, what is the, what is the, the feeling? I, again, like I really was, I, I'm, I'm touched by Bart's remorse. I think they did a really, really fantastic job of fleshing that character out. If this is going to be your main, if Bart's going to be your main guy and to, and to make, and he's 10 and really he's mostly known for his antics. But the one thing that I feel like they've done throughout for the you know three decades is even and certainly with Homer and with Lisa when she gets her comeuppance but particularly with Bart and Homer I would say they never skimp on the heart even when Bart has a moment with Lisa if if and it's in private he's like just don't tell anybody about this but the fact that we got to see it as an audience member is super important because it makes him that much more multidimensional yeah. So I loved that about it. And I, I was curious, do you remember who plays the security guard? I'm like, who is that? It's Lawrence Tierney. 
Yes. And which, I, that's right. I saw it in the credits and I was like, that's not any of our regular people. No. It was really fascinating. Yeah. And I heard that, um, I believe I've heard Bill Oakley say this. He actually was like, not the most enthusiastic about recording the lines. Like he only wanted to do it once or twice. And he's like, ah, you know, it's good enough. But I think that that led to it being so much fucking funnier. Like there are so yeah. many, like, where he said, where Bart sort of nervously laughs when they're talking in the room and he goes, ah, that's it, Mr. Comedian. And he like, you know, he just like, there are so many moments because of how just matter of fact his read is, it's just, it's perfect. It's so good. Yeah, it was perfect. It really was um, fantastic. And what's interesting is we don't always, when we get big guest stars, they don't always actually fit into the world. Sometimes their delivery is... It doesn't feel like part of the Simpsons Springfield and it can kind of take you out of the show. Right. And it and they can be great actors, but they get to our, you know, house and they're kind of like, oh, shit. And they're intimidated or you wouldn't think it. These people have won awards and they're huge, you know, way <laughs> more famous than any of us. And they sort of like, ooh. Um, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen sometimes. And But it didn't happen with Lawrence Tierney. He really was fantastic and it was a seamless seamless performance all right show's over uh, excuse me you think you're pretty smart don't you no don't smart off to me smart guy i i i could pay for the game i'll pay for it you know that kind of mush might fly at lamps plus but don't peddle it here if i wanted smoke blowing up my ass i'd be at home with a pack of cigarettes and a short length of hose <laughs> that's it mr comedian i'm calling your parents <gasps> Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Simpson. This is Detective Don Brodka from Try and Save Security. That's right, Don Brodka. Your son Bart has been caught shoplifting. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a shame, I know, but... Well, try and have a Merry Christmas. They weren't home. Uh-huh. But I left a message on their answering machine. That's right. Um, okay. I've really, really, really learned my lesson. Can I please go now? Yeah, get out of my sight. Hey, kid, one more thing. If you ever set foot in this store again, you'll be spending Christmas in Juvenile Hall. Capiche? Well, do you understand? Everything except Capiche. The misdirect of that joke is one of my favorite things about the whole episode. Um, and it's just, you know, it's it's great. It is great. It, it's, uh, and again, to me, um, classic Simpsons. Really kind of an old... It feels like an old joke, like the the Three Stooges would do, kind of thing. But we we did a lot of we've done a lot of obvious references to classic, you know, films and moments and comedy and stuff. But but that kind of um, that kind of mislead, I feel like, is was something that we loved and have done a lot of. Where you think it's going one way and then it's not, which is actually the structure of every Simpsons script. So I remember hearing, um, being in one of the um, uh, DVD commentary sessions several years ago, and Al Jean or Matt Selman talking about how every Simpsons script starts out with a story and then it takes a hard right or left turn. You're like, oh shit, it's actually going to be about this. And that is the. That is the sort of the template for every episode on purpose. Yeah. Where you think it's going one way and then it goes, 
and veers off down the road, a different road. Well, it's something else that I've talked to, to writers and, and other people about, but there is like a certain style of joke that I really do think the Simpsons, if they didn't create it, they definitely figured it out uh, for a lot of other shows. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of even, you know, live action shows now that do that same style of humor that really only exists because of the way the Simpsons sort of uh, templated it and made it work. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm curious, did you ever steal anything as a kid, Yardley? Or were you good? No, I was such a good kid. <laughs> I was such a boringly good kid. Um, and you know what's funny, though? So because of that, I think, I it's, it's actually the next episode when Bart ruins Christmas. And, I, and it really, it like, it sort of, it, it garners a, a kind of a, a real frustration and an anger inside of me because it's so selfish. And I feel like, who does that? I would never do that. Think of somebody else for once, right? <laughs> and um, there was a lot of that in the show. And, there, and a lot of that kind of conflict between Bart and Lisa where there's that very famous episode, the Thanksgiving episode, yeah. where he ruins her diorama. He throws it in the fire. Such and a good I episode. remember being so furious and upset by that in the recording when I read that script, feeling like, how dare you? How dare you put Lisa Simpson through this? I, I was like, I, I was on a, oh, I just thought, you fucking writers, you are assholes. I cannot believe that. I was mad, so mad. I just thought, this is the worst. What good can come of this? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Bart's a real stinker in that episode for sure. Um, he is. Also just such a classic though. That's one of my, one of my absolute favorite episodes as, as well. It's a really good one. Um, Did you ever steal anything as a kid? No, absolutely not. I don't. And you know, my mom listens to this sometimes and I'd never did that mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hi, mom. so no, but you know, mom, you know, Bart's fear of his mom finding out is, is super relatable to me for that reason. And, you know, again, not that I ever stole anything, mom, if you're listening, I I don't know who would do that, but I can understand how a kid who did steal something or do something bad could (laughs) have related to that, you know? (laughs) And also, but it goes back to, again, Bart getting the tattoo that says mother, he thinks she's going to be proud of him. And of course she disapproves of it. And he's kind of heartbroken by that. Him being worried that she's going to find out and be disappointed in him is devastating to him. It is. It's devastating. You know, he doesn't, there is nothing glib about this failed attempt to get this video game that he feels like he can't live without. Now this episode's fucking perfect guys. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it right now. Anyone who needs an example of a perfect episode of The Simpsons, there's several, there's so many, but Marge Be Not Proud is really up there for me. Um, I mean, just, you know, so when they find out that Bart did it, Homer's version, I'll say, of yelling at Bart about what he did is the funniest thing ever to me. (laughs) Dealing! How could you? Haven't you learned anything from that guy who gives those sermons at church? Captain, what's his name? We live in a society of laws. Why do you think I took in all those police academy movies? For fun? Well, I didn't hear anybody laughing. Did you? Except that that guy who made sound effects. (laughs) Hug, hug. (laughs) Where was I? Oh, yeah. Stay out of my booze. 
just calling Reverend Lovejoy Captain What's-His-Name is just yes. unbelievably I funny. Mean, it's so, you know, it's Dan Castellaneta at his best, it is, and Homer at his bumbling, fatherly best, you know, he... he and I think that goes back to, again, the thing about the Simpsons, again, are so good-hearted. They're always trying. They just don't always succeed. No. I mean, Homer literally makes <laughs> – he's doing his impression of Police Academy, and he says, honk, honk. Come on. Um, right. <laughs> so <laughs> then we have a series of scenes where Lisa explains why Marge reacted that way, and we see that Marge is actually upset because she thinks that she's failed Bart in some way. And um, – you know, she looks over at a at a mold of Bart's hand when he's four. That's such a that's genuinely touching stuff. That's an amazing scene to me. Um, and she says, you know, I think somewhere along the line his hand got away from mine. That's like really, it's really sweet to see that not she's not just disappointed in him. She's sad because she thinks it's her fault. Um, and so this this episode really tugs at me emotionally. I think there's just a lot of uh, relatability to that. You just don't want to disappoint your mom, especially when you're ten. I agree, and it's a lovely. It's such a lovely bond between Bart and Marge. You know, you really believe it when she says, you're my special little guy. Yeah. I mean, even the way the way yeah. she tucks him in and then the fact that she doesn't tuck him in after she's upset with him because yes. he thinks that, oh, he's too old for that. I'm not doing that anymore. Those, th- those things are so special. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really great. It really conveys exactly what it's supposed to. And so significant. I completely agree. And, and to me, the moments of when Marge then she doesn't tuck him in. It, that to me was reminiscent of one of my favorite episodes where Bart sells his soul. Yeah. Right. And then, and and they deal with this existential question of do do you have a soul? And basically, it comes down to faith. Right. Do you believe in something you can't see? And when Bart goes to the quickie mart, he, he the the scanner that opens the door can't read him because <laughs> he doesn't have a soul. Um, and. It is, when Marge doesn't tuck Bart in, it it speaks to a sudden, vast emptiness. In the same way, I feel like if you were to sell your soul, you would be suddenly vastly empty. Yeah. And that those little tiny things, those little moments are the things that are are really the essence of life and happiness. I agree. Bart didn't realize how much he loved that until it was gone. You know, like like so many of That's us do. A much more succinct way of saying everything I just said. Yes. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> what you said yes, was fantastic, Yardley. Stop it. Um, so uh, before we get to the climax of the episode, we get one of my favorite drawings of Lisa, which is her going dizzy from the fake snow. I think that's so funny. Like, no, I think this fake snow is making me dizzy. It's it's great. I love all of that. So great. <laughs> love it. I, and I love, again, the animation was not quite as polished as it is now. It still had quite a lot of texture. Yeah. It wasn't as um, sort of herky-jerky as the original, obviously, but uh, it's still amazing. It's still classic, you can tell, you know. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say this, actually. I think seasons, uh, well, five through eight, I'll say, are considered the golden era by a lot of people anyway. Uh, but I think the animation in those seasons, especially six, seven, and eight, some of the the best the show ever had in the original cell era. I think they just look so good. Yeah, there's so like you said, there's so much texture. Why why do people say that? Why why do they single out five, six, seven, eight? I think, um, I, at least for myself, I think that that is just five through eight is where the show really truly. I mean, it could be argued that the show figured itself out in season 
too. But I think that those seasons especially, it's just nonstop home runs. I think five through eight, because of the you know the different influence from David Merkin, Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein, these these people, these different people working on those seasons as showrunner, really just gave so much room for these characters to go moving forward. I think without those different opinions and those different takes on the characters, um, which I mean could be said for the show as as a whole in those early years. But there's something about five through eight to me that I think those are, maybe it has something to do with my age. And that's when it was really just, I was getting to the age where I truly appreciated it even more. Um, but those seasons just really, I don't think they miss at all in those four seasons. Not, not once. That's well said. That's really interesting. I agree. I think those, you always benefit from a different perspective. Right. You know? Right. 100%. Um, and also, you know, to, to round out this episode, I got to say, Bart giving Marge the picture has made me cry so many times. I, I can't even, I can't even tell you. It's just fantastic. Um, they do sort of undercut it a little bit when Homer says, get in maw. I think if that wasn't there, uh, which is still very funny, but if that little joke wasn't there, that episode would just break my heart. I think that's why they do it. So you're not too sad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mom, this fake snow is making me dizzy. We're almost finished. There's just a little bit of green left. <laughs> there you are. You can help me spray the cookies. Are you hiding something? What do you have under your jacket? Nothing. Oh, Bart, not again. Give it to me. I told you, I don't have anything. You can't hide from me in this house, Bart. I spend 23 hours a day here. <laughs> Get him, Ma. There's no place left to run, Bart. Hand it over. Oh, Bart. I can't believe you did this. I wanted to surprise you for Christmas. Oh, sweetie. This is the best present a mother could get. I love you so much. My little bitty Barty. Mom. I think, and I think probably the writers um, also were like, oh shit, yeah. we got to do something to diffuse that vulnerability. She calls him her little bitty Barty. It's yeah. so sweet. Oh my God, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cry right now. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, Marge Be Not Proud, what a classic. I mean, you could say that about obviously Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. What a perfect beginning to the show, but there's something about Marge Be Not Proud that I think ticks every box. I wish there was a little more Lisa in it, and that I think it would actually be the ultimate Simpsons episode. But it just has it all. I mean, it has the great comedy from Homer, like, not knowing how to punish his son. It has the great comedy from Bart being conflicted, like, wanting to be bad, but also not wanting to hurt his family. There's just so much going on, and it's a, it's a perfect story to me. And he's not good at being bad. No. He's actually not. You know, by and large, it just, again, goes back to Bart being a good kid. He's, it's just not, it's not his nature to be malicious. No, no, that's so true. It's so true. Well, so now we're jumping forward two seasons. They started doing them a little more regular after Marge Be Not Proud, thankfully. Um, <laughs> also, I, I will say before we move on, something I thought that was funny is Mike Scully pointed out to me that the reason Marge Be Not Proud was not put on a lot of the Simpsons like Christmas DVDs in the 2000s is because whoever was making those lists didn't realize it was a Christmas episode because the name has nothing to Doesn't, do with Christmas. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so people forget about it I sometimes. Wow. 
Boy, maybe read the synopsis. I don't know. Yeah, guys, come on. Even we read the synopsis here on Simpsons is greater than. Give me a break. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Should we read another synopsis? Yes. So we have season nine, episode 11, Miracle on Evergreen Terrace, written by Ron Hauge and directed wow. by Bob Anderson. Um, a lot of great stuff in this episode. Hit me with that so synopsis, great. Lisa. Miracle on Evergreen Terrace. People throughout Springfield open their hearts and wallets after Bart accidentally burns the family's Christmas presents and claims they were stolen by a burglar. But when the truth is, alas, revealed, the Simpsons find themselves pariahs. Thanks, Bart. Ruining Christmas again. Um, (laughs) If anyone thinks I'm ever going to get tired of that, you are so goddamn wrong. I will never get tired of that. So good. Um, I love this episode. I think this is my favorite Simpsons Christmas episode. It's up there. I really... First, I mean, there are so many great references, and and there's the huge... There's a whole chunk of um, this... uh, uh, it's, It's a... What? What's the Jimmy Stewart movie that's so iconic? Oh, it's, it's a Wonderful Life. Oh, it's a Wonderful Life. Oh my God, that's just the biggest brain fart in the world. I, I have those um, all the time. Even right down to Lisa playing the piano, which who knew Lisa even played the piano? And Homer says, "Knock it off," which is when Zuzu is playing the piano and Jimmy Stewart before he goes <laughs> off on his sort of odyssey of what would happen if if he had never been alive. Um, right. Yeah, I really love this one. It's great. Well, and I think this one actually has one of the strongest starts of any of the Christmas episodes because we have that hustle and bustle line that I talked about, which, you know, again, I love this about the holidays. I love, you know, call me crazy, but I love that almost stressful, like everyone's trying to find gifts type moment of how of Christmas. <laughs> you are and crazy. I am crazy. Um, and so, you know, this starts off that way. Homer's rushing to the, to the store to get some last minute gifts. And he literally just takes over a checkout line, steals a bunch of presents, but at least he's nice enough to stuff a bunch of money back in the register, which I think is a great little detail. I'm sure they were like, he can't just steal the presents. I know. (laughs) It's genius. It's pure genius. It's what a, what a scam. Um, And Bart, as every kid, of course he's 10, right? And he cannot wait. And he does this thing where he drinks the 12 glasses of water. um, And Lisa says, you know, you're not, you know, you're not the first one to think of that. You do know that the Native Americans did that when they were, had to get up for battle. And he's like, why do you ruin everything? And what, what a beautiful <laughs> sequence also. Bart's dream about having to pee. Like, I, that's like, it's such a beautiful sequence. But um, one little detail I have to mention before we get to that is that I love the joke about the Christmas tree cookies. Hey, kids, I made your favorite cookies. Christmas trees for the girls and bloody spearheads for Bart. Oh, thanks, Mom. And I have to point out that my wife did that last year for me. She made these cookies. Some were trees, some were bloody spearheads. It's on my Instagram if you want to scroll all the way back to December of last year. It's very funny. But I got to um, see that. That yeah, is it's, phenomenal. It's good. They were also delicious. Um, and, and what, a, again, a brilliant idea, you know? And yeah. I love that Bart, he accepts it, right? He doesn't say... It's just icing, Mom. You yeah. know, he's like, fuck yeah, that's my bloody spear. <laughs> like stabs himself. Yeah, so good. yeah. I love it. 
So, you know, what would you say mostly, you know, you said this is probably your favorite out of these, especially that we're talking about. What about it really stands out to you the most? Like, what do you think makes this one the one? Um, well, again, I really was, I was so mad. I was so disturbed that Bart burns the tree down. Um, he, you know, opens his present early. It's a fire truck. And it catches on fire, and then it burns the tree down, and he can't, he doesn't know what to do. So he cleans it up, and he bears it in the snow, and he can't bring himself to tell his family, it's all my fault. And I, you know, I get this visceral thing when, when stuff like that happens, when, <clears throat> particularly I think when Bart does something, because it takes him so long to take responsibility for things that he's done wrong, right. where I really want to fight for Lisa Simpson. I really want to step in and protect her from the pain and from the disappointment. And I felt, I feel that way about this episode. And then it's amazing that the town comes together. You feel like, oh, this is great. Oh God, this is terrible because it's all based on a lie, right? right? It's all based on Bart absolutely refusing to be accountable. Yeah. Um, I just, it is, it does in 22 minutes, although back then I think we had 23, maybe 24. Sometimes. Um, they've actually literally shortened the amount of time you have to tell a story in a half hour episode of network television. <laughs> oh, joy. Jerks. Um, <laughs> I do feel like they managed to sort of run through the entire alphabet of emotions from A to Z in that period of time. And it's so beautifully done. And then the references to It's a Wonderful Life and there's something else too. There must be a reference to Miracle on 34th Street, is there not? I think, you know what, I actually don't, if there is, I can't place it in my brain. I can't either. I think they just thought that name was like crazy clever. But you yeah. know, it's, it's funny you say all that because every single time I watch this episode, I really love it, but in my brain, you know, it's like when you're a kid and you, you think something different's going to happen every time you watch a thing. <laughs> every time I watch this episode, I just really want Bart not to burn the tree down. I mean, Lisa is so stoked on the tree. Everyone's in a great mood. Marge is making cookies. Like, it just seems like such an awesome Christmas. I'm like, oh, man, what a great... I just want to watch them have a good time. It's Me really too. <laughs> it's so funny you say that. I feel exactly the same way. Like, just this once. Don't burn it down or save it. Save right? it. Like fucking fig, get oh, get a oh, like a spaghetti pot full of water or something. Ah, I'm so with you. I love that they point out that it's plastic just so what? they can, just so when it burns down, you understand how it happens. Right, right. Um, and then, and then it's quite funny. Uh, or you might want to talk about something in between. But at the end, when the townspeople they realize their house is being ransacked and everybody's just carrying shit out of the house and strips them bare and actually looks really very Dr. Seussian. The, it does. the house with the pink walls and the sha- you know the the shadows are the marks of where pictures were and where the sofa was. To me, when I saw it again, I was like, oh my god, that really reminds me of the Grinch who stole Christmas. But they're so cheerful about it, like, dude. All right, you lied. No harm, no foul. We'll just take everything you own. All good. Now (laughs) we're good. Yeah, now we're good. Now we're good. (laughs) Well, there's, you know, so after they, I love that the everyone's really upset, obviously, because Bart, they don't know what happened. They think it was stolen. (laughs) 
So after Bart burns it down and he tells them what happened, you can tell Lisa's a little skeptical right away. She's like, Bart, what were you doing outside? You know? Yes. Um, but they decide to cheer themselves up by going on a little family outing to the retirement home. And all they see on the way there are people having an amazing day. Like everyone except for them is having the greatest Christmas ever. They get to the retirement castle. Everyone's having a great time. Um, and <laughs> Which I is just, not what they expected. They no. thought they would go cheer up grandpa and that would make them feel better. Like, oh, we did something good and he's already high as a kite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and and there's so many, I mean, there's so many great little jokes leading up to that. Like them pretending to ski. Milhouse is trying to show off his toy. He gets hit by a snowball. And then at the last second, you find out it's Homer that throws a snowball. Marge yeah. Homer. Um, <laughs> these are all just really well-placed moments that also stress you out because you, the viewer, know what happened. But the in the universe, they're like, oh, man, our house was robbed. They feel vulnerable. They're upset. It's yeah. a, there's a lot of emotions going on in that, in that story. And there's a lot of, um, they are vulnerable and they feel a lot of shame that they are having to ask for help. And then of course they get help. And then, but as again, you're right. As the viewer, you're just like, oh shit, this <laughs> is not going to end well. This is not going to end well. Right. So, you know, Homer comes home, uh, finds out that the whole town has come together to help them. Like you said, and, uh, gives them several thousands of dollars, by the way, just really, lo- you know, loads them up. And all of this, you know, they go buy a car, they immediately wreck the car, they run it off the road. <laughs> so all of this is just driving Bart crazy with guilt. Bart does not know how to deal with it. And I think that goes back to what you were saying. Bart is not really a bad kid. He does bad things, but he's yes. feeling a lot of remorse for what he did. Like he feels crazy guilty. He's really upset about what happened. And every time... You know, he meets these sick children. The, the town is being so nice. He's like, you know, shouldn't we give this money to charity or something? Like Bart is feeling really bad. I think that's an interesting note about this episode, especially to be from season nine also. So pretty developed. I agree. Yeah, and it and it goes back to really the core of who he is, where, as you know, as you were saying, he makes a lot of bad decisions, but he's not a bad kid. And it's so fu- I don't know how anybody ever got the idea that he was a bad kid, that you didn't want your children to emulate him. Yes, he was a smart ass, but but again, but he's not a bad kid. I feel like there's such a there's a huge distance between I like to play pranks on my friends and my family, but my heart is good. And yeah. I like to fuck people up and I don't give a fuck about you, right? And no remorse and no um, self-reflection or accountability. It's, it's an, it's a, to me, that feels like a, a wide gulf. No, oh, it definitely, it definitely is. And I got to say, um, you know, the car salesman is one of the funniest jokes in the entire episode <laughs> to me. Is this car $15,000? Yeah, it is now. And because of your loss, folks, I'll throw in the undercoating for... 200, now, 490 bucks. What a deal. I'd be a sucker not to get it. I don't know about this, Dad. Shouldn't we give the money to charity or something? Ow! Oh, I'm sorry. I jabbed you with my pen. Ow! You're still doing it. Yeah, I know. It hurts your heart that it was it was like $12,000 or something, or and he rubs it with his elbow um, and says, yeah, 15000 and then charges them a little bit more for... Undercoating. Undercoating. <laughs> and you just go, oh, my God. It's just, it's really insult to injury. Yeah. What a, what a <laughs> funny joke. that uh, I'm assuming that's Hank. 
It's a very funny read. Yes. On that. I yeah. believe that's Hank. Definitely sounds like Hank. Yeah. Um, so, so then we have Bart deciding to tell the family the truth. It's a really sweet moment. Bart's like just reached his wits end. He has to come clean. And, uh, you know, you get this funny twist where Lisa is furious and immediately starts strangling him. And you think Homer's going to break it up, but Homer's only stopping Lisa because Lisa's not strong enough. Like you're, you're not hurting him enough. Um, right, right. So the family is just so mad at Bart because they've been through all of this and now everyone's going to know. And uh, I think that's such a great twist on that joke. You think they're going to be like, oh, Bart, you know, why didn't you tell us? But they're just so mad. They're so <laughs> it is, it, it is, I feel like in keeping with the whole ethos of the show, which is take no prisoners, you're, you really fuck this one up, you will pay. <laughs> it's so funny. It's great and great animation of Lisa strangling Bart and then Homer taking over. <laughs> <It's so good. laughs> um, another thing that I do actually forget about this episode a lot is that we do have a really awesome guest star. Um, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Um, in an attempt to make back the money that they owe the town, Marge goes on Jeopardy and does so poorly that they actually (laughs) expect her to pay the money she lost. Aren't we forgetting something, Marge? You were down $5,200. But Mr. Trebek... I asked you before the game if you knew the rules, and you said you did. Judges? Red Mom! Um, She's down like $5,200. Right. And, you know, I, I think... You know, Alex does an amazing job at this at this joke. Like he really fits into that style of humor really well. Um, did you get to meet him at all during this? I'm curious. No, I don't. Um, he must have come in and recorded by himself, which now, of course, happens quite a lot because you it's much easier to pick somebody up wherever they are. They really right. mastered that um, long distance recording technique. But no, I didn't meet him. But it's a fantastic joke. He says to Marge, you said you knew what the rules were. And you wonder, <laughs> what is? how could you not know what the rules are on Jeopardy? And all you can think is, do they reveal that she didn't know it had to be, the answer had to be formed as a question? I don't when, think they ever explain. That's the only assumption. Yeah, I don't think they right? explain why she did so poorly. But yeah, I, yeah. It, it's just... I think he does an amazing job at that read. And he only has a couple lines, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I always forget that that's in that episode because that couldn't be a, a more removed joke from the Christmas feeling, but it's so funny. It just slow pan over to Marge. She's down a bunch of money, did nothing to make the money back. It's, it's great. <laughs> and again, just like salt in the wound. Right. <laughs> so after that, after a bunch of failed attempts to get the money, uh, you know, the town forgives them by stealing everything they own, like you mentioned before, uh, except for one washcloth, uh, which the family fights over, but then ultimately is brought closer together by, you know, they have each other. And that's a really sweet way to end this episode. Um, it's really good. Yeah. And they don't they sit down in the middle of the empty living room? They do are. They, they, they just... are until they find that washcloth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Marge says it's my washcloth. Yeah, and they're chasing each other around the house. It's really good. Right, right. (laughs) Because God forbid we we stay on a heartfelt moment. Nah, you can't have that. It's a fucking comedy, people. Get with the program. (laughs) Yeah, something that I also love about a lot of these Christmas episodes that that I didn't say yet is that Lisa's outfits in any episode where it's cold are always so funny. She's always got the little toboggans on. You can see her little spikes through the toboggan. I love it. I yeah. know. That little hat and her. I do love it when they 
put her in anything other than her little red dress, which I love the little red dress, but when she, there's a great episode in Podcast News, actually, where she's so addicted to true crime podcasts that she can't sleep anymore, and she comes down with her dress over her pajamas, right? <laughs> so she wears a this little red strapless dress, which is also hilarious, but she's kept her little pajama top and bottoms on, and she's, she's a zombie, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's I think that's another thing about these Christmas episodes that really makes them great is that you nor, you normally do see these characters in different clothing, which you don't see that often. Like Marge, be not proud. Bart's wearing a purple sweater most of the time, a little purple hoodie. Um, you see, you know, Homer wearing a you know, toboggan and a sweater. I mean, you just see a lot of different you know looks for the family, which you don't get that often. That's always fun to see. Yes, I love that. I think that's actually quite a bit of extra work for the animators, and that's why um, you it doesn't happen every show because they're like, it's already such a heavy lift. Well, <laughs> e- yeah, even though someone should have uh, told them that Bart should have pants on if he's going to make a snowman. And, <laughs> and Marge be not proud. I've always been like, why would you they know. put him in a hoodie and no pants? Um, Details, whatever. <laughs> Um, okay, so we have one more that I want to touch on. I could honestly talk about every Christmas episode. There's so many good ones, but Same. We're, we're jumping ahead two more seasons. They really they really got in like a, every two or three years at this point, which I think yeah. is cool. It seems like they were doing them every two or three seasons. Um, and that is season 11, episode 9, Grift of the Magi, written by Tom Martin, directed by Matthew Nastuk. And this one, you know, I almost forget that it's a Christmas episode every time that it starts because it takes you a minute to get into it. Um, but a really, really great Christmas episode, one of my favorites. What's that synopsis, Lisa? The synopsis is Grift of the Magi. A sinister toy company unveils Funzo, the next Tickle Me Elmo-style fad to Springfield's Christmas shoppers. The toy is a huge success, in part because it is programmed to destroy other toys. <laughs> It's funny that you say that because when I started watching it, um, it takes a long. T- it's really not until the the third act, I think, that we that it becomes a Christmas episode. Yeah, it really focuses on um, kind of corporate greed. Well, in fact, when it starts, it's hot outside. I mean, the episode, um, you know, it literally opens with Millhouse being chased by the sun, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it it leads him into the Simpsons house where Lisa attempts. To hang out with them, and uh, you know she gets sick of their shit pretty quick, so she just goes to her room. Oh, I am so bored. Oh, I can't wait till we're teenagers. Then we'll be happy. Well, we could play clam traffic jam, or the game of county seats. Ah, the zoning disc is warped. All right, silly string. <laughs> Look, your Millhouse. Who wets their bed now, Millhouse? <laughs> Ugh, I'll be in my room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she says, I'll be in my room. <laughs> Which, if whenever I get asked in interviews, does Lisa Simpson have a, a catchphrase, there are really only two for me that come to mind. There's, I am the lizard queen! And there is, I'll be in my room. <laughs> Which I guess she said a few times. Yeah. Right? She said yeah, a few I, times. I, I think there's even an episode and uh I'm gonna I'm gonna be bad at this and forget the name where they treat it as her catchphrase, you know. Yes, they um, do. They, I actually um I looked it up because I wanted to know 
if I wanted to know if that was the first time, and I, I couldn't find that out, but I did find a clip on YouTube where Lisa says, I'll be in my room, and then they pop off all, like, Nelson's ha-ha, and Burns is excellent, and everybody's catchphrase. Right. And she says to Bart, aren't you glad to be, aren't you glad to be, um, treated like a real live boy now, not just uh, a character with a catchphrase. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. No. And then he, you know, and then they, I think they go through that. But it's pretty clever. No, it they, is. As always, making fun of ourselves right. um, in our own world. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing about this one, too, that's like so interesting because a lot of these other ones, like it's, you know, pretty straightforward. It's like, oh, this is Christmas. It seems like it happens over a period of a couple of days. This episode feels like it happens over a period of weeks. I mean, there's like so, so many things that are happening in this episode um, that are not Christmas, but I do like that it does have that really, it ends very strong with Christmas. So um, had it been a while since you watched this one? Yes. I, I'm actually not a person who goes back very often. You know, I don't, Rewatch movies over and over, TV shows over and over. I don't have a very good memory, but as soon as I start to watch something, it kind of all comes flooding back to me. But this has been so long. It's so fucking long. Like, how, what, do you know what year Grift of the Magi is? Uh, season like, 11, so that would have been 2000. So we're talking 20 years. That is the. That's a long time, people. It's a long time. It's a long um, time. So I hadn't watched it, I don't think, since it had first probably been released. And it's great. I really, I remember, like, I remember when, when I didn't remember that Lisa said, I'll be in my room in that episode, but when she said it, I remember saying it <laughs> in the recording. Um, I, and there's... There, when I hear, when I see her trying to hang out with Milhouse and Bart, I remember that scene. I, I just, it's, it's. I feel like it's now. Those things are kind of imprinted into my DNA. Oh yeah. That there really is a um, a physical memory as well as uh, an intellectual and visceral memory. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you've recorded over. 600 episodes of a show. I mean, you can't, I'm actually impressed that you do remember little details about, Oh, I remember saying this. I remember saying that, but just think about how many things you have said as another person. I know know. so many things. I can't, I can't (laughs) imagine that. I can't imagine remembering. And that's why I'm so amazed by people from the show, writers, directors, anything that they'll say, Oh, I remember on this. I like when I spoke to Rob Oliver, his granular, like just him remembering this is the first scene I ever laid out. This is the first thing I, I like to me, that sort of thing is unreal. I don't think I would be on par with that. So I'm I completely so. agree. I was trying to think about the very first episode that like the Tracy Allman bumper that we recorded. And I, I do remember we used to record behind the audience bleachers where Tracy Allman, the show, because it was in front of a live audience. So like a lot of sitcoms, but they had a big live audience. And, and I remember our booth, our makeshift sound booth, it was not really soundproof at all, was built behind those audience bleachers. And I would go in at the end of a rehearsal day and Dan Castellaneta and Julie Kavner would come up into that weird little makeshift booth and we would record the Simpsons. 
And but I cannot. And I rem, I feel like the very very first bumper we did was the Rockabye Baby, where they're and you realize how violent that song is and what a terrible oh lullaby it makes. It's insane. Um, but I don't. But I I think because I thought I don't I don't really know what this thing is that we're doing, but. Okay, I don't know. I know how, I know how to be a little sister. Okay, <laughs> I, I just didn't have any expectations, right? So in some ways, it didn't really, it it didn't make a massively lasting impression on me because I just thought it was one job among many at the time. I was lucky. I was working a ton back then. Right. No, it's true. But I mean, you know, I think it's interesting too that you say you don't watch a lot of them like since they've aired or it's been a long time. I think that's cool because when you find an excuse, like maybe something like this to go back and rewatch them, it's got to be kind of cool to see that. It's wonderful. I have to say I have such a deep appreciation for the many, the gazillion layers in each show. Right. And also to watch Lisa Simpson, to know that I'm, a part of her, but to watch her exist separately from me, but then to get those sense memories of things that she said and remember like, oh yeah, I remember saying that. Like it is the most extraordinary sort of out of body, but grounding experience. I can't, I can't really explain it, but I can say that there is tremendous joy. It brings me the most joy. I don't watch it and go, oh, that doesn't really hold up. I do not do that. I watch it and just feel like, fuck yeah, that is awesome. I am so pleased and proud to be a part of that. That is funny. Wow, holy shit, what a meal. <laughs> Come on, Yardley. It's the greatest TV show of all time, and I don't have to lie to you to say that. It's just true. Come on. Thank you. Uh, I, I, have to, I have to agree. And I think that you don't – I don't think you get to stay on the air this long if, if, they're, if you're not – Doing something right. Yeah, if you're you not know? slam dunking them, Yardley, come on. Um, <laughs> well, I took that on a bit of a tangent with that question, so I'm sorry for that. But I love everything you said. Um, where where am I? Where, where am I we? at in this episode? Oh, so oh, uh, so Bart hurts himself while goofing off with Millhouse, uh, which forces him to get a butt cast and use a wheelchair, <laughs> which then leads to the school going broke from making the school wheelchair accessible by way of Fat Tony. And his crew. The thing I like about this episode is that if you just tell someone like what happens in the episode, it sounds kind of fucking crazy. Yeah. This episode goes so many places. Um, But I love Fat Tony. I think all his interactions with Skinner are so funny. Um, So good. Yeah, he's great. Bart, stop fooling around. Principal Skinner, I thought public schools were required to have access ramps for the disabled. Technically, yes, but the building costs would be astronomical. Did I hear the word astronomical? If so, my construction outfit, Valdazzo Brothers Olive Oil, is poised to help. No, 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 no. We're not building anything. How can you say that when construction has already begun? How did those trucks get here so fast? In order to avoid certain legal complications, the trucks are always rolling. Now for the groundbreaking ceremony. Amazing. Who do you know who the showrunner was in season 11? Season 11 was Mike Scully. Oh, Mike Scully. So Mike Scully, I love Mike Scully so much. And he had a really playful sensibility. 
So it makes complete sense that this episode ricochets all over the place because that I feel like that epitomizes Mike Scully, that he, he would always try to cram as much as possible, as much fun, funny, ridiculous, you know, um, the bigger the better kind of jokes into an episode as he possibly could. Right. And Mike will be the first one to tell you it didn't always work, but when it did, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that too. Um, I love the butt cast. Yeah, the butt hilarious. cast is very funny. That's actually one of my favorite jokes in the episode when um, when they say, well, son, this is a teaching hospital because he's got a little viewing window in there. I think that's all yes. really great. The, the, just the chatter amongst the people watching him get his butt cast put on. That's another thing about The Simpsons that I always love is all the little just chatter amongst a crowd. If you really listen, there's always funny stuff being said. It's great attention to detail. I feel like that's... Again, one of the things people who are really fans of the show is, of course, there's all the signage that you want to freeze frame and what, you know, and read. But as you say, all of the little comments are, there's nothing random about it. Yeah. You know, they really go to the mat for every little, tiny little scrap of everything. And I can tell it's Tress saying, oh, now that's really something. (laughs) I love Tress so much. Have you had her on? No, I would, I want to so bad. She's uh, she's shy, but God, she's so fucking brilliant. See, I'm shocked to hear that. I think she's one of the funniest. She is is, one of the funniest. I mean, she's you know she's one of the funniest characters in The Simpsons to me. I love everything she says, including a line that I didn't even make a note about. Lisa, I know you're mad, but just for a damn minute, try to see this from a product positioning standpoint. She nails it every time. I love her as the crazy cat lady, um, Mrs. Skinner. Uh, any and all, she is, she's just so brilliantly talented. Yeah, she's, she's the best. Um, okay. I'm, see, I'm, I keep losing my place here because I can't shut my mouth. No, it's me. Um, (laughs) so, so Skinner has people from the community over to discuss ways of raising money. And, uh, there's so many good jokes in here. I I think of, of Mo saying, what, you don't like my bags all the time. Um, I love Marge shutting Skinner down and telling him that his ideas are terrible. Like, oh no, these are terrible ideas. Um, there's just so much comedy in that scene. Uh, you know, Homer stuffing his pants with cakes and pies and, um, <laughs> yeah, this, this episode moves a mile a minute. I mean, it's just crazy how much stuff is happening. here. Yeah, it is phenomenal. Um, <laughs> I do love it when Homer and Marge have to go to school assembly. I don't know why. That's one of my favorite <laughs> things that they make them do. Yeah, seeing them interact with other parents is always, always yes. really funny. Um, and Homer's just invariably out of his element, no matter what. No matter what. Um, <laughs> so after some failed ideas, the school is purchased by Kid First Industries, uh, which ends up being a way of using the school for market research to design the perfect toy for the holidays. See, this script sounds insane. Um, <laughs> and this is where we meet the first guest star for this episode, Tim Robbins, who plays Jim Hope. And he is really, really funny at this role, I think. I think he's great. Yes, he is. That's yeah. amazing. He and, makes a lot of good And jokes. seamless because uh, I didn't even remember that until you said that. He fits into the world really, really well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think all of that is great, but Lisa basically refusing to go along with this and just craving real learning is all, you know, it's so, you know, Lisa's just not having it. You know, everyone else gets dumber and Lisa just gets punished for actually yes. trying to learn, you know. <laughs> Classic, <laughs> poor, uh, put upon Lisa. Fun toys are fun. Well said, Ralph. But we're trying to come up with a name for a toy. Mrs. Fun? Not bad. Fun? Ralph, there are no right or wrong answers, but if you don't pipe down, I'm giving you an F. 
The before teacher yelled at me, too. No one's yelling. We're just brainstorming names. Lisa, any ideas? Oh, a uh, name with fun, um, fungus, funzo, Attila the fun. Lisa, are you doing math? Uh, just a few Venn diagrams. There's more under her chair. Um, yes. And, you know, speaking of poor Lisa, while being punished, Lisa notices a light behind the chalkboard and discovers that the students are being spied on and comes upon an evil robot that we later find out is Funzo. <laughs> By the time she brings Chief Wiggum and Homer, the room is gone. Um, now, I love this scene for a lot of reasons, but when Bart turns the light off and Lisa notices the light behind the chalkboard, I don't know if you noticed this when you were watching it, the, the little noise Lisa makes. <laughs> Lisa in trouble, huh? The ironing is delicious. The word is irony. Huh? Don't you think there's something weird going on here? We spent all day selecting fabric swatches, and then our guest speaker was Phil from marketing. All I know is I'm getting straight A's, and that ain't not bad. <laughs> That's not funny! Huh? Is one of the funniest things to me, because she just gives a little, ooh? I just think it's 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 an unbelievably funny reaction from Lisa for such a simple thing. I think that's great. I've done um, probably six hours of... Um, so, 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 so many of those in ADR, which... And what's funny is, and to their credit, they never reuse them. Let's say I did it in, you know episode 12 and we're doing ADR for episode 13 and I'm like didn't I just do this last week like yeah and you'll do it again (laughs) we can't can't use these weird mouth noises that you did already we need new ones we need fresh we need (laughs) fresh funny weird nondescript noises (laughs) of curiosity no it's great and you know that it sets up like you sort of just expect Homer literally explains the plot. He's like, is this one of those things where it's not going to be there when we look? You know, it's just really, really great. Um, <laughs> Which is, I'm usually the one who lays that kind of pipe. You're right. I, I lay a lot of pipe, as, as we say, um, as Lisa Simpson. So it's actually super fun to have Homer do it instead <laughs> right. for once. <laughs> but, I mean, this, you know, we didn't say this, but this episode is actually pretty Lisa-focused. She's a big part of the story. And I love that when she opens the door and it's no longer there, the mop hits her in the head, just like classic, you know, little, she's like, no, but I swear it was right here. That's all really, really great stuff too. Yeah. Again, like my, I will say my frustration for my little character, I I just feel like, oh, you guys, you just, everything is uphill for her. And yet she never, ever, ever loses her resilience. It's incredible. It's true. I actually... I listened to uh, um, another podcast that I love. I always shout them out, Talking Simpsons. But I was listening to them recently, and I, I, I'm drawing a blank on the episode name. But they were talking about a commentary that you were on for one of the episodes where you were just getting so annoyed about the way Lisa was treated in the episode. I wish I could remember which one it was. I wish uh, I could remember, too. Once <laughs> in a great while, I'll say, I don't think it's right that Homer is this dismissive of her or that Bart is this mean to her or that, and and it's not even that you can't be mean to Lisa Simpson, but you can't do that and not have her have a response. Like Lisa Simpson has to, at some point, find a way to have a response. And even if it is 
a little mumbly grumbly under her breath so that the audience knows that she I just feel like you cannot hang my girl out to dry like that. You just can't do it. I won't have it. I won't have it. <laughs> See, that's that's why it's perfect that it's you. Um, yes. <laughs> so so after realizing what the company has done, Lisa and Bart go to the factory to confront the executives. Um, and <laughs> there's so much in this scene also. They see Gary Coleman. They sneak by. Uh, this results in Bart getting a free funzo, which helps the kids see how evil the doll really is, leading them to devise a plan to steal all the funzos and destroy them. Um, this is when it finally is obvious that it's Christmas. They've sort of, that you, the scene before you see a tree behind Bart, but when you see them going door to door, taking these funzos, you're in full Christmas mode. So yes, that's, yes, that's when yes. it really gets there. And it's interesting because it seems to always snow at Christmas in our Springfield. Yeah. Which, if, 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 I think I've heard, you perhaps can confirm or deny that the reason that we live in Springfield is because, because it's the most common name for a town in the United States. That's what I always heard. I do believe that that's true. I, I've actually, I don't, but I don't know if that's a fact or just a commonly stated thing. Yeah. It's probably commonly stated because I've said that all the time. Um, (laughs) It makes sense. But it is what I, I feel like I actually have heard Matt Groening say that. Makes sense. Um, In any case, we're going to go with that. I'm going to say it's true. So there you go. I am too. But so that, and I think there are 43 of them or something. I don't think there's one in every state or there's 48 of them or something like that. There's a lot. Um, And but then, but there's always the question of where, so, but where is Springfield? Our Springfield? Which, which Springfield are we? If we're, it's always snowing at Christmas, that sort of, ge- that's very geographically specific yeah. somehow, somewhere in the cold up there. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, at least, at the very least, I will say, um, even if we never know, I think the fact that they set them in the snow is the perfect way to let you know that it's of the course. holiday season. So. You have to. It, and I, because I also think I read once that there's only 12% of the world that's under snow at Christmas. It's a very, very, very small portion of the globe. How did we come up with this idyllic vision that Christmas, real Christmas, is always in the snow? I don't know. I don't know. I think I've had maybe like one norm. or two. I've had one or two white Christmases in my entire life when I was a kid. Me too. Yeah, barely any. Um, It's funny. Well, in that scene where they're going, you know, door to door and taking the funzos, one one of my favorite jokes, and I've never understood why uh, they chose to do this because it's such a such a an odd joke. But Homer trying to do the math on how many Christmases he's ruined and saved. So who am I beating up? Nobody. You're just gonna break into everyone's house and steal their favorite toy. Thus saving Christmas. Now let's see, this will make three Christmases I saved versus eight I ruined. Two were kind of a draw. Dad, Dad, you're driving on the sidewalk. Sorry. (laughs) I think that's like such a funny little thing to throw in. Like that seems like a throwaway joke, but it makes that scene so funny. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, swerves it back on. It's Um, so Homer though. (laughs) You know, he's always taking stock of of the most useless, um... Not always the best information, I feel like. And and at the same time, if even if he was able to figure it out, I don't think that necessarily an apology would follow. No. I think it would just be like, ah, well, there you have it. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> but at least, you know, at least Homer helps them. And I think that's really great. He's like, so what do you need me to do? You know, I like that he gets involved in the in the plan. Um, 
So they take the Funzos to the tire fire to destroy them, and they're confronted by Gary Coleman. Uh, they have an in-depth discussion that lasts all night, and they end up inviting <laughs> Gary over for dinner. Everything else sort of just gets neatly wrapped up from there, and uh, you have a nice little ending there. Everything sort of comes together. Burns funds the school. Um, it's great. It's a good ending. Yes. And why, if we have, what did you say? We have 19 Christmas 19. specials. What about this one? Is it because it was the fourth one that you chose it? Or is it one of your favorite ones? So it, it is actually one of my favorites, but I sort of, I, I thought about hopping around and doing like a sort of a, a skip but, you know, I wanted to talk about the first one. I wanted to talk about Marge Be Not Proud. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll just do the first four. That makes it simple. I don't have to hop and, and skip. But right. I think even if I had, um, I think I would have picked those four. I might, it would be a tight race between uh, Grift of the Magi and uh, Tis the 15th Season. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, there's some of the newer ones that I think are some of the best. The Fight Before Christmas, I Won't Be Coming Home for Christmas. These are really good ones, too, that I think could get in there. So, I mean... You know, much like the Halloween ones, a lot of the holiday episodes rarely miss, and I think a lot the Christmas ones are really great. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but I think that this episode, especially because of its take on you know consumerism and you know the yeah. way the way these companies like you know just try to make everyone want this thing so badly, I think that's like an interesting take on the holidays that you don't get from some of the other more wholesome ones. So I think it would edge its way in there anyway. You know. I think it. I agree with you. I, it's a really fantastic, subtle commentary about consumerism and corporate greed. Yeah. And and that they will sort of no holds barred. We're going to create something that you think you can't live without, <laughs> and whether or not it's good for you or actually brings value to your life. Ah, eh, fuck it. Who cares? It's going to make us money. We're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite well done. Yeah, it is. And this episode also. Is the origin of the famous no funeral Mo image with his head in the oven, which I still to this day oh. am shocked they got that that joke on the air, especially twenty years ago. I think it's very funny, but it is dark and uh, it's a bit <laughs> uncomfortable. And so I'm just amazed that they were like, "Yeah, this." I'm, I'm amazed that they let that happen. I will say, I am too. I actually forgot about that. I, you know, I love Mo. Mo is one of my favorite characters in the Simpsons world and I always want him to have a a little more resilience I want him to I want Lisa to be able to impart some of her resilience and optimism to him he's so he's such a heartbreaker and he's such a it just is it where you I mean the word pathetic I think is pretty apt here and you just go like But I love him because he's good-hearted. Yeah. You know, he's just so hurt. He's so broken. Um, yeah, Moe's, how Moe's else had a rough he, go. Yeah, rough go. Rough, rough go. But it, but at least it does, um, sort of the point of the joke is, you know, it's like, ah, you know, Mo takes his head out, puts a goose in, shows it to the Simpsons with a goose, and they have this meal together. So at least it does, like, I yes. think that's probably why they let it slide because it doesn't end that way. Um, Thank God. Yeah, I know. That's that makes it really great. But they do play with that sort of joke uh, in a lot of Christmas episodes because Mo is such a sad bastard, unfortunately. So. Yeah, she's a sad bastard. And maybe it's a little nod to how difficult the holidays can be, how stressful. I don't know. You're right, though. I mean, they pulled it out of this sort of 
did a hard U-turn when he shows up with the goose. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's oh, good. Well, you sort of already said that Miracle on Evergreen Terrace was your favorite of these, but um, after re-watching these and talking about them, um, what do you think it is about that one that stands out from the other ones, and why do you think it's your favorite one? I think that it's the most Christmassy. It's also um, sort of the most most redeeming you know, the so the very first one, Simpsons Roasting on Open Fire, which I adore, partly because it, it's the first one and it started this extraordinary journey in my own personal life, but it's it's so it's so sad. For, it's just sort of one failure after another, and while it ends well you really got to hang in there to get to that point. Right. Um, and you know how you were saying when Bart burns down the Christmas tree, you hope that if you watch it this time, maybe he won't do that. <laughs> right. um, I, I, you sort of, can, can, can maybe of the seven things that go wrong, could j- just be four this time? <laughs> so that one, otherwise I think that would... I mean, it's a close second because it also has tons of heart, but I don't know. I feel like it's it just feels the most Christmassy to me. Yeah, miracle. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. I mean, I you know I I say Marge be not proud because I think it's like I just have such sentimentality to that episode, but that goes for the show in general. Like when people ask you to name a favorite episode, they ask you to say, oh, you know, so what's your all time favorite? I have answers just because I feel like I have to have answers, but it changes all the time. And I think that's the best answer. Yeah. It's different every day. Th- yeah. that And that it's a rolling list. And that when you watch an episode that you haven't seen in a while, you go, oh, that has to make the list. And then one that, if it's a list of 10, sort of one drops off the bottom. I remember I watched um, Lisa the Iconoclast not long ago again. It's a phenomenal episode. So it's good. so great. And I was like, oh, that has to go. That I love that one. That has to go on the list. Yeah. Um, there are a few that never drop off the list, like Lisa on Ice, <clears throat> Summer Four Foot Two, Lisa Substitute, Bart Sells His Soul. But, I, you know, I think Miracle on Evergreen Terrace now can make the list. Yeah. It's a great one. I mean, I, I watch most of them every year. I don't know if I always make it all the way through the list. Um, but I'm sure I will this year because Disney Plus has a nice little playlist of them. I'm not being paid by Disney Plus, but if they want to pay me, that's fine. Um, but it is good. You go to the little holiday collection, it's there. And I think, you know, that makes it really easy to do. But it's just, you know, with 19 of them, that's a that's a commitment. So there's a lot to take in and it's really it's really fun to do. That's a um, lot of time on the couch. <laughs> I mean, a lot it, of nog. Come on, guys. I made four I made notes for four episodes today, and it was I mean it felt like I was there for hours. I mean, just, just because I wanted to really, you know, dig in. Um, and I could have done more. I promise you, I could have made this five hours long. Um, I had to leave (laughs) off the little details of, of like, Oh, and the funny thing about this, I have to edit myself down a little bit or we'd be here for a long time. Screenshot those and put them like do Instagram posts. You could do how, what's the date? Today's the sixth. We have 20, 19 days. You could do 19 posts. There you go. It's the 19 a, days of Christmas. Not a bad idea, Yarley. Not a bad <laughs> idea. Um, but Yarley, it's, you know, it's as always, it's amazing to, to to hang out with you and talk about The Simpsons. 
you know, I had you on as the first episode of this show and it was great, but it wasn't a proper episode. It was an Instagram live that we had done that I felt like I needed to share with people in audio. So it's nice to have you on for a proper actual episode and about Christmas, no less. I loved it. I, you know, I always love our time together. Um, love hearing what you know, what your questions are. It's just, it's just really fun, easy, fantastic. I learned something. It's great. I'm so happy. I'm honored to be asked back so soon. Oh, come on. Come on. No, Any, really. No. <laughs> well, why, why do you find that so hard to believe? It's true. <laughs> I'd never take that for granted. No, nah, I know. And that means a lot. I mean, anyone listening to this, Yardley is the absolute best. She's a, she's a friend. She's just really, really great. And to come in and, and drop this sort of knowledge or just have these discussions, that's a big thing. But before we go, I do want you to plug whatever you want to plug, but especially your cooking show, Oil & Water. I'm a big fan. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. Everyone should be watching those, um, especially the uh, the most recent ones for Thanksgiving. And I'm sure I'm looking forward to the one coming up that'll be out by the time this comes out. great one for Christmas. We have one. Um, thank you, by the way, for uh, letting me plug my... So I have I did, I have this funny cooking show that I've, I call Oil & Water. And it's really kind of a game. So I pick a savory ingredient, a sweet ingredient, and a thing. Like, it's a pie. It's a soup. It's an ice cream. It's a casserole. Blah, and I have to put the savory and the sweet thing together in this dish, which is the thing. Um, and I did a few of them when I was doing my Simpson Sundays things that I used to post almost weekly on Instagram and Twitter. And then, because it started when I did the porkified fish nuggets, which was a <laughs> recipe from the Simpsons. And I was like, let's just make those. And so I made them for a Simpson Sunday. And it was there. they were actually not terrible. They were actually pretty good. Um, anyway, so I, I decided I would make Oil & Water into its own YouTube channel. So if you search Oil & Water Yardley Smith, because there's actually a lot of things called Oil & Water on YouTube, then you'll find my Oil & Water channel. But you can also watch it on the Oil & Water um, Instagram page. It's called Oil & Water Food. Um, and it's just very funny. It's they're all they're short. They're like six minutes long, six seven minutes long, where I make an entire thing. I have um, there's one coming out. When when is this your this episode coming out? This will go up on the sixteenth. So just right oh. in right in time, right in the middle of the month. So oh, perfect. So I have so there's um, I think there are four episodes up on the new YouTube channel now. There's a really funny one for Christmas. It's super fucking funny. And there's a lot of swearing that we bleep out, but there, you can't really hide it. It's not. <laughs> anyway, so that is fun. And I would love for you to um, watch and subscribe. And because, uh, I don't know, I, they just they make, they make me laugh and people seem to enjoy them. They're very um, funny, guys. Get off your ass and go follow that. Come on. What are you doing? <laughs> Do it. Um, and I also, I co-host... Uh, the really fantastic, very successful true crime podcast called Small Town Dicks. So if you like true crime, all of the cases are told by the detectives who investigated the case. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm you, like I'm the audience. If you had a seat at that table, I try to, I ask the questions that you might have on your mind as well. And, it, and I co-host with identical twin detectives, Dan and Dave. And it's very, very good. We're, we actually just hit 20 million downloads. Wow. That's Look at a, that. That's, that's a lot. And we're three years old, so, um, and we're just 
wrapped up our season seven. We do about two seasons a year. And uh, anyway, if you like true crime, I think you might really like that. Yeah. So I hope you guys are making notes or hit the rewind button, write those down. Oil and Water Food, Small Town Dicks, it's all really great. Yardley Smith. Um, I don't know why <laughs> I'm clapping. I don't know why. One. I don't know why I'm clapping my hands because I'm recording a podcast and it's going to be on the microphone. Um, <laughs> but no, it's as always, Yardley rules. She's the best. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'll see you soon. You're fantastic. Thank you so much for this. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.